You have one unheard message. Hi, I was calling Current, the influencer marketing platform, but I think I just got redirected to a bunch of people listening to a podcast. Well, anyways, I was calling Current because I was told they could help get my brand set up on TikTok Shop and even build out an affiliate program of content creators promoting my brand and even have those content creators go on live streams and promote my product there. Wow, I could really use Current. I also heard that the brands they work with are making millions in sales. I guess I'll just go to their website at current.tech. When it comes to weight loss, no two people are the same. That's why Noom builds personalized plans based on your unique psychology and biology. Take Brittany. After years of unsustainable diets, Noom helped her lose 20 pounds and keep it off. I was definitely in a yo-yo cycle for years of just losing weight, gaining weight, and it was exhausting. And Stephanie. She's a former D1 athlete who knew she couldn't out-train her diet, and she lost 38 pounds. My relationship to food before Noom was never consistent. And Evan, he can't stand salads, but he still lost 50 pounds with Noom. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. Even through the pickiness, Noom taught me that building better habits builds a healthier lifestyle. I'm not doing this to get to a number. I'm doing this to feel better. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom users compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, a typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. episode of Buffalo Happy Hour. Mike, what's going on? You're blowing my ears out again with the intro music. A little bit. I know. We're all fired up with the headphones. <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, so we are back downtown, and we are with the second time on Chandler Street. Mm-hmm. So we're fired up. Uh, we have a lot of questions up front, but we should start with introductions and then dive right into it. So you guys want to introduce yourselves? Absolutely. Uh, my name is JB Bearcat Peggles. Um, I picked up the nickname... When I was in my like 20s on Elmwood, and it kind of has just stuck ever since. <laughs> I like it. Yeah, and I'm Andy DePiro, uh, partner in crime to Bearcat as far as uh, the Bloomin' Rose goes. And yeah. So Bloomin' Rose, do you want to tell people what it is, where we are, and what you do here? Yeah, yeah. So um, this is our kitchen commissary um, here on 27 Chandler. Um, we are the main gist of our business is we make knishes, so we're a knishery. Um, making hand-rolled pastries, selling at farmer's markets and local grocery stores. What is a knish? Yeah, yeah, that's the number one question. <laughs> right. Um, yeah, like I said, I, it's a pastry, stuffed pastry, um, delicate dough on the outside, jam-packed full of filling on the inside. We do things from sweet to savory. Uh, classically, it is like a uh, Jewish cuisine, uh, popular in New York City. It came to the States from Eastern Europe, a lot of immigrants, and... Uh, like popular in delis and stuff like that and we're kind of doing our own way so how did you guys meet uh so originally there was um a small group of friends that came up with the idea uh me and him happened to be friends of one of those original people zach uh, rosenblum which is kind of where the the name hmm. Bloomin' rose come from him and his wife had the last name of rosenblum and they had the business became the Bloomin' rose um but we all were um cooks at park country club um zach is still there currently 
Uh, me and him started about the same time, about six years ago, or maybe uh, maybe seven at this point. Yeah, I think it's seven at this point. I want to say it was like 2015-ish. Um, we both started there. He was in uh, more of the banquet area. I was on more of the al carte side, and Zach, I think at the time, was eventually made sous chef. Um, and we just worked at Park for about three to four years together. Um, then he kind of went off, went part-time here and part-time at a couple other restaurants. And then um, I just left Park in April hmm. to come here full-time. So, no kidding. Yeah, I'm only I'm, I'm fresh to the I'm fresh to the full-time Bloomin' Rose. <laughs> <laughs> How's it going so far? How's the business? It's it's been great. Yeah. I, I mean, it was uh, us just jumping on full-time. Now it was all part-time, mm-hmm. kind of just late nights rolling in the kitchens after we all got out of work together to kind of make it happen on the weekends so sure. it's a it's been really great to kind of focus on it and let it kind of involve our entire life instead of just kind of being this little side project so was that a tough decision to make to leave your full-time jobs and do this full-time or was it relatively easy i mean for me it was covid that really pulled the trigger oh okay um because i mean we had always been doing it so it was kind of always something on the side and after um I had Park Country Club shut down for an indeterminate amount of time, uh, March of last year. So I just dedicated the time to this and kind of slowly invested enough energy into it that we were able to become more sustainable over the year. And sure. yeah, kind of got got off rolling. It was definitely a different decision for JB. Yeah, um, it was. It, it definitely. It, I talked about it with my wife for maybe about like five five ish months, just kind of yeah. going back and forth about the pros and cons. Um, part of the thing is uh, I'm getting a little bit older and I'm, I'm done with that daily grind of just, you know, pumping out 150 covers, 200 covers every night and, and just not having much of a life outside of the kitchen. Mm-hmm. So that was the main driving factor was kind of like, you know, like I, it's not that I don't mind working 60 hours, but if I'm going to do it, I'd much rather do it for myself and other people around me than, than do it for someone else and kind of just get that like, oh, here's a gift card. Like, good, good job doing, good job pulling all this overtime and uh, so that was, I think that was like the final line for me. It was just like, I really just wanted more of a, a home life, just a more healthy work and home life balance and kind of working for yourself while well, the hours are still there. It's at least more on my terms. Mm-hmm. And, and that's that I enjoy quite a bit. Sure. It's fascinating how much of a conversation that has become, I think specifically within like both <clears throat> of our generations, where everybody's focused way more now on work-life balance just because they've seen what 60 hours a week does but then you can also work six hours a week literally like you just said and still reap some of the same benefits without having to live at work mm-hmm. so it's an interesting dynamic especially from our standpoint just because we're working with so many different small businesses mm-hmm. but they're all saying the same things like first of all the american dream is not dead they're mm-hmm. saying that you guys are also more proof of that and that's what we see on a daily basis but now people are really starting to focus more on how can i get more enjoyment out of work so that work is not my life and then i can do something outside of it so with your focus in kind of like the the quote-unquote market analysis what has been your approach to getting your products out into people's mouths um number one would be the farmers markets uh for sure that is just our that's kind of what helped us grow originally was um starting small and working up as um we originally started the williamsville farmers market on 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 saturday mornings and that was okay they let us get in even though we were basically like a nothing company um so that was really good and it that one was really small and then from there we went to basically we did the bidwell farmers market in the winter knowing that it wasn't going to be that good but knowing that if we got into that one it would allow us to get into the summer one sure. Sweet. and that's exactly kind of what happened and okay. that first that first year of 
the Bidwell summer was awesome because it was like every week we were hitting a new milestone of like, oh, we just sold this much product. Oh, we just sold this much product. And that was, I think that was one of the funnest summers just to, to constantly get that growth. Every, like every week it was just a little bit more and a little bit more. And um, that's definitely been our number one is just yeah. being out there at farmer's markets. Yeah, just getting in front of the customer, getting to talk to them, explain what the heck a Kanish is right, yeah. in the first place. And, you know, like you somebody's skeptical they they try it you know walk away and they come back and buy three times as many because you know, <laughs> they were just blown away and I, th- I think that like comes back down to what we were talking about with leaving park country club is you just don't get to you don't get much like satisfaction mm-hmm. out of seeing people enjoy your food and you kind of just have to pat yourself on the back or hope to know that you're doing a good job and actually getting to be right there with somebody and you know talk to them about it it's yeah just, that instant gratification for it's, sure it's, it's been amazing it's, it's a great great driving force mm-hmm. yeah because Otherwise, your only satisfaction is like, oh, no one got food poisoning. Yeah, and I so didn't get yelled cool. at today. It was awesome. Yeah. I must have yeah. done all right. <laughs> right. So what is the size of the pastry? Because there's, um, someone's definitely going to correct me, but the there's two ways to say it. So please. Baklava. Yeah. So baklava is kind of like a square. Yeah. That, usually that, that tends to be, a, I want to say a little smaller. More sweet. Oh, like, that's uh, like a, yeah. Uh, that's like sweet. a loaf that's sliced normally. Yeah. So okay. You would, I mean, uh, I mean, the Kinnish is like it's handheld size, like palm size. Um, oh, four and a half to five ounces. Like a toaster strudel size. Uh, think of that condensed though. Yeah, um, they're small round. little. Yeah. yeah, they're small. They, they're small oh, little. Okay. They look like almost like little fists, and then we top them with toppings for each one. So it's it, depending on what the flavor is on the inside. Like our as a, our traditional is potatoes, onion, salt, pepper, and butter, and then we top that with an everything bagel spice. Jesus, this sounds um, fantastic. And then as I said, the spinach and feta was the another one where it's just basically spinach and feta, um, onions, garlic, and lemon juice. So we top that with a sitar seasoning. So they're all like basically little round. They're little pucks of love. Pretty much. Yeah, yep. Yeah. That's exactly what there they are. There you go. A little phrase right there. <laughs> there it is. Yeah, feel free to use that. Just don't forget. Don't forget us. Don't forget where it came from. Yeah. Uh, so was that like the the Rosenblum family, right? That's who started. Is Was that like their go-to pastry, and that's why they decided we're just going to do this? I mean, I, as far as the original inspiration, it was really like Zach wanting to start a deli, and the Kanish was kind of just like the traditionally... You put whatever you have left over in that dough, and you oh, would tell okay. it's like a pop of oh. food, like super traditionally. So, if like, kind of just like a minimum viable product, it, it, if people will buy the Kanish, they'll pretty much buy just about anything we'll cook if that's good. It's true. Um, and that's then it, true. they're they're also extremely time consuming, so it was all we were pretty much able to do. <laughs> <laughs> so, Fair, but it's a it takes a lot of different forms um, because it was like an uh, brought to the states through immigrants. You um, it, you see different kind of variations. It's a lot of like family you know takes on it so in new york city you do see them a lot bigger almost twice as big as ours the size of a plate and uh i mean while they they probably have half to a quarter of the flavor in them uh they uh they're just this massive thing to fill you up and then you also see like the fried patties which are much more like the toaster strudel which are just like mass produced it's like just potato and they're deep fried and sold in the car on the street so like there's there's so many different variations of what this might be a stupid question but at what time of the day do you traditionally consume these is this a breakfast item or is this an after dinner item um the beauty of it i mean with kind of what we've done with with all our ranges i realistically i think we would have ones 
for any time of the day that you kind of want. Um, I want to say traditionally they were breakfast items. Okay. Um, you kind of would use your leftovers from the night before, as you said, to roll them up, and that would be kind of your breakfast with some eggs. And that's even still to this day, a lot of people will get our spinach and feta, and then like it, and then put an egg over top of it, and that will be that kind of their breakfast. Um, that's a bougie breakfast. <laughs> I, I kind of like doing. I like leftover <laughs> ones, uh, the potato ones, and just searing them on the potato side, and then using those as almost like little Benedicts and putting fried eggs right on top of those too. So like that, it's great for breakfast. They're also filling enough for lunch and with some of our other flavors, like we have a chicken mafungo and a hot noodle um, that definitely will fill you up more than just the regular ones. And then it has that little bit more of a lunch, you know, lunch dinner as- aspect. And then we also have sweet ones like our s'mores. So like you can even go all the way to dessert where like that's definitely a little bit that not many people do, but we have an apple one, we have a sweet potato one and a s'mores one that all, we try to hit the sweet note. So it's sure. it's more meant to be almost like a dessert. Like you would almost finish your night off with it. Are those tradition? like where do you get these flavor ideas from? Are, are they traditional flavor ideas? Do they? Yeah, cause I'm literally drooling. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah I mean, some of them are traditional. So like the potato and onion, spinach and feta, even okay. the, we do like a smoked onion farmer's cheese that maybe like the way we kind of compose it isn't quite traditional but the components all are um but i mean for the 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 out there ones i mean the s'mores was just i had an idea of you know essentially it was like how can we make a chocolate one of these Mm -hmm. and what that ends up looking like and just slowly working on that filling (laughs) until it's because you know you serve them hot they kind of have to we also you know leave them in the we package them frozen for people to take home so it's got to work at all these different levels and um I don't know, just like just things we're inspired by. Like the hot noodle one was just we love eating spicy packaged noodles from the Asian store and all different kinds. I was like, how can we put this inside of a knish? And we just, I don't know, experiment and essentially just have to get the consistency right so that we can roll it in the dough. Sure. If it's too wet, then it's just a pain in the ass for us. And then, um, yeah, I mean, it it always tastes good. We just kind of come with a different type of filling. So question, and Derek is literally going to roll his eyes and throw his head back. Do you have to prove the dough? Mm, no. Nope, not this one. Thank God. Okay. Interesting. <laughs> yeah, it's it's, it's word. super, super simple. No, I w- yeah. You make it, let it rest for just a touch so that it's easy to roll out, and that's it's good to go. Yeah, that's the, only, that's the only form of proof we really need to do is, like, we'll, we'll mix all the goes together, and we'll usually wait on whatever one we mix first. We'll roll that one first just to give it time to relax and rest so it's much easier to roll. Otherwise, you get it kind of it, it bunches together. It's a little annoying, but... Nope, no proofing. The dough is actually, we found out that we don't like making the dough ahead of time. Mm. We have to make it, we only make enough that we can roll on that day because we don't like keeping it overnight. Um, we don't like having it sit out for too long either. It just, it starts getting weird and annoying to roll it. So usually we will we'll measure all the doughs out. As you guys can kind of see there, we have like 10 of them ready to go, weighed out. And then we'll mix about, you know, anywhere from three to five a day, depending on whatever we're rolling that day, just so they're mixed right then and there. Roll them and, and par bake them. And then either keep them in the fridge or right into the freezer to freeze them. How many do you normally roll a day? Mm-hmm. On the days we roll, I would say close to 700. Yeah, up, up, up to 1,000. <laughs> get carpal tunnel yet or what? Yeah. Uh, I'm a heavy gamer, so actually, <laughs> like, the only thing that happens is, like, right here in the palms, if you go two days back to back, right here, right here hurts because oh, yeah. you're constantly putting down like that. So I just, I'm, like, hoping that one day, like, after this, after we <clears throat> finally mechanize it, if we can... I'm gonna get to be able to do that Russian slap boxing, and my, my hand will just be just not feel any pain, just be rough. Just being wild. Yeah, exactly. It's a wild thing to watch. Yeah. You just watch people get just smacked oh right across goodness. the face, and they're like, "Yeah, do it again." It's like, I would be on the floor. <laughs> you know, on no the floor. I don't know if I can that. hold my rage, and I just be like, "You just hit me in the face again." Like, yeah, it's a game. Like, uh. So, is there anything that you can't put in one? 
Mm. Like, just like a photo, like you can't put pickles or something. I don't know. Um, kind of like the thing is, as he was saying, the filling is kind of important because not only does it need to have a certain consistency when we roll it, but it also needs a whole to being baked three times, essentially. Mm. Usually, once baking is making the original filling. So, like the potato ones, it's boiling the potatoes and sauteing the onions. But then we par bake them once, uh, once we roll them to get them to a certain form. And then there's one more bake after that, depending on whether we're doing it for the farmer's market or that par bake state is what we sell it frozen. So we, we sell it frozen with the idea that you're going to go home and bake it another 20 minutes. So essentially, like, we need to have fillings that will hold up to that much heat over that many times. Gotcha. Um, so, like, we've tried, to, we've tried to get, like, a cheesecake filling, and that one's really weird because the egg just doesn't... Mm-hmm. It gets weird after it's, it's like, second or third bake. Uh, so there are some things that we, we can't do because of that, but that's part of what actually is enjoyable about doing new fillings mm-hmm. is... You know, figuring out what we can do with it, and you know, like, oh, like maybe this will work. Like as you said with the brownie, it took him a little bit to get that dialed into where it was the right consistency, and you know, it kind of started as a brownie batter, but then it, it morphed into like kind of its own thing now that is now what we need it to be. So that's definitely part of the excitement of of learning what we can do and what we can't do, and we've definitely had some failures. <laughs> yeah. The R and D process: Are you able to eat it after the first bake, or is it like not healthy? Yeah, uh, I, he's like, yeah, I, I usually, it's like cookie dough. I'm usually willing to wait until to taste the final product. <laughs> yeah. you know, like we can pick apart the filling or whatever, but the the dough is half raw. Sure, so, yeah, it's you're not, right. You're not gonna really know. But yeah, we, we we take our time, and it's. I think the thing is, it's just always iterative for us. Like even the spinach and feta filling, um, we've done it from day one, and the, our process for it has changed so much. Like we used to hand wring all of the liquid out. Um, you know, we'd have to cook it and then let it cool because you couldn't do it when it was boiling hot. And then we got a machine, like a cider press, that helped us kind of press it all down right out of the right out of the pot. And that allowed us to kind of cut things down um, and process the spinach a little bit more so it's even better consistency. So we're just kind of always looking to evolve. And I don't even think there is like a... I don't know if there is going to be an end point for anything, really. I'm just always working on it and iterating, really. That's awesome. So if you're rolling once, potentially two to three times a week... And you're doing a thousand of these each time you do that. When is there time for R and D? Is it just based around when the markets are that you're just trying to kind of innovate and include some more options, or is it like these are the flagships, these are unlocked? So let's. What if we tweak one, two, or three? Yeah, intermixed. We, uh, we've definitely. I think we're hitting a point where we don't have enough time to be making yeah, too many new like ones. We, I, we're just starting to hit that. Actually, we, we snuck in the hot noodle and the mafungo. Like right at the beginning of the markets, before we actually had two other markets on us. Like, as I said, we were we're in uh, Greycliff, Bidwell, and Kenmore slash South Buffalo. So those two flavors, we we got kind of like the one the couple weeks before that Friday and Sunday market started. So we had a little bit more time. Um, definitely in the summer, it's it's less R and D and more just uh, stick to what we know and the few flavors that we have. And you know, also we'll generally do flavors like with seasons. So like we have corn's coming out soon um so we do like a mexican street corn mm-hmm. one um also like apples will be coming out at the end of the summer early early fall so we'll be doing like an apple crisp one that's kind of like an apple and apple pie um so that's another thing that kind of like sticks us is like we kind of have a rotation through the season and what's available from farmers that will kind of dictate our our flavor spread um and then usually in the off season is when we have time to r&d when, when there aren't farmers markets and we're trying to look for more ways to you know whether it's retail or other things um that's when we have a little bit more time set that we can actually be like oh mm-hmm. let's let's look, think about this new project or you know there's flavors that we've been talking about for a year or so that we just haven't figured out the right way to put them together right way to make it a filling so that usually comes in the off season you know around winter when there's not too many farmers markets and we have a little bit more downtime for sure 
the process that you well the time that you said when COVID hit you were able to dedicate more full time is that when you guys started seeing the business grow a lot or was it before then was it after then when did it really start taking off yeah I, I feel like it's it's been fairly linear just because we we were only able to invest so much time in at the start anyway um, so I guess the the more serious we made it and jumping on full-time made it a lot more serious that we just kept on growing. I mean, we didn't think that we would be able to get JB on full-time for probably Three or five a, years yeah, was the, a year or two past what we were thinking or what we ended up mm-hmm. doing. So uh, I, I guess it's hard to tell. I mean, I don't feel like it's like really crazy taken off. It's just we're able to, like, it's You're always kind of the same success. Oh, yeah. You've taken off. We're, uh, <laughs> yeah, that's fair. I mean, we're just a... Uh, we're finally able to go to more markets and stuff. Sure. Like the markets are pretty self-contained. Like you can only kind of serve so many people food at, at any given time anyway. And it's just trying to get to more neighborhoods where we can see things. I will say too is like with COVID, um, it, it kind of changed people's like perspective on supporting local. I mean, 100%. everybody's been saying that for like the last five to eight years, but I think people actually put it more into practice. And we found a lot more just dedicated customers coming out to see us. And you know we had did delivery stuff for a while because nobody was you know willing to come inside and then you know even running like the winter market here was just inviting vendors out in the cold and people were just standing in the snow because that's the buffalo way right yeah getting it done and kind of pretending it wasn't happening in the first place (laughs) as just the dedication was really there over the last year and i guess that was like kind of showed the uh, significant kind of growth and all that stuff sure Yeah. yeah it's wild yeah, I would say it's. It, I will say the one thing I've noticed at least this summer is, you know, all the summers leading up to it, the main question is like, what what's a Kanish? What mm-hmm. you know, anyone coming to this end? Like, what are you guys selling? And this year, I, I've been seeing it at least feeling like a little bit more. It's less what's a Kanish, more like, oh, you guys are the Rose guys, or, or you guys are the Kanish people. Like I've seen you, so it's that's been really cool to see that summer for this summer for sure. Is that less of like what is your product and more at least them at least knowing what that they have an idea that we exist or at least knowing our our brand or logo. That's another thing. So it's been cool to at least see that that change and that little bit of growth. Um, yeah. Instead of it just being like, I don't even know what you guys do, to being like, oh, I've been told to t- try you guys and right. I need to get at least one. So so walk us through the first uh, market that you were in. You set up your tent. It has your logo on it or whatever. You throw Kanish up there. Oh, we, I don't even know if we had a, <clears throat> if we had a Rose logo in the first in the Williamsville. Yeah. We might not have yet. So what was people's like expectation when they came up to you? Was it always what is a Kanish, and then it, the conversation went from there, or what was the public's feedback? I want to say because I just think it like it, it's such a, a niche yeah. <laughs> uh, food that not you know except unless you have a, a Jewish background and you understand that like I don't think you, like I didn't even know really what it was. I've heard of it because of course I'm a cook, but that's only because I'm I feel it half the reasons I'm in the culinary. Mm-hmm. It's not even like a, a normal person like or just like they every day wouldn't just know what a Kanish is. So I mean I think we did hit Williamsville, so I think we had a little bit more of a following, but. Um, a lot of people just didn't know what it was or uh, just it was until they tasted it that they had no idea. That's I think that was the main thing is which is why Farmer's Market worked so well for us. Yeah. It wasn't like you can look at it like a lot of people would be like, oh, this is this a bagel or this is what? So yeah, you almost don't know what it is at sure. first. So it's sure. I think that's mostly people just didn't even know what it was. And then it wasn't until they came up and tasted it. It was like, oh, this is so yeah. good. And then then they come back and get more. So are there other Jewish markets or pastry shops or yeah, anything hot, in the yeah. area? Like what's the community like? The, yeah. That was one of my questions. Way to go, Derek. <laughs> <laughs> I know, I know that, like, uh, classically, there there used to be a lot, like, on Hurdle, a few other delis and stuff like that that no longer really exist. We hear a lot of stories about it from our customers that have been around longer than us, but um, 
I, I know that Tops on Main Street has like a kind of a kosher dedication oh, really? where they do make some stuff like that, uh, knishes and other things. Uh, nothing like very large scale, but um, yeah, I've heard of a few yeah. kosher catering, which is also a little different than what we yeah, do. There's there's a lot of there's a lot of steps in order to be kosher, and usually um, they they do a little. They don't necessarily do knishes. They just mm-hmm. kind of do their kosher thing. Um, but as far as like just knishes, I have the only other product I've really seen is. Wegmans does have some little frozen product, and the only reason I know that is we went and looked for that product sure. to see if there was another product. Um, so that's another thing is I don't really think anyone else is doing it. You know, every culture kind of has their their version of it, um, and those are being done. But as far as the actual like knish the way we do it, I don't think anyone else in Buffalo yeah. is really. It's definitely an underserved community. Really doing that. Is, is that hard for you guys to get into that like? To get the community to buy into this type of product, or is it easier because there's no competition? Uh, I would say a little bit of both. Okay. Like it's it's harder to get them to try it right away because, you know, if you say Kanish, like, oh, what's that? And it's you know they almost have to see the product. Like I don't. That's what I think going to be our hurdle is getting into retail, where mm-hmm. it's more them seeing our box and being like, oh, I'm going to try this. Like when we have it right there and you smell it and you see it kind of high, it's very easy. Like okay, this smells good. And you know, you have us talking to them. That's very easy to get. It's when they're walking by a supermarket and just seeing a freezer box and being like, oh, I don't know if I should get that. So. I definitely think that's gonna that's gonna be a, a hurdle as trying to get that to be a, a much more common knowledge as mm-hmm. far as like just walking by the freezer section buying one. But as far as farmers market, it's having it right in front of them is what sells it more than anything else for sure. sure. I think a lot of that too is going to be solved with brand recognition. So even if they are in the cooler section, they could see a rose and just be like, "I know exactly what that is." Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? But yeah, that's going to be a very cool experience of walking through all those hurdles like you said yeah we do uh we are in a few stores i think our biggest one right now we're about to um lexicon co-op on hurdle oh mm-hmm. nice should be uh ordering from us soon and stocking us in their freezer section um, congrats that's amazing so that's the ne- that's the next big one that we're excited about and we'll kind of see what goes from there like that's work we have a small stepping stone and that's the first step on that so that's a cult following you're getting into <laughs> yeah. with the co-op that's so wild that's kind of what we, i mean that kind of seems like with our with our logo and kind of how we do it it's like we do get those like people who follow us around to, to farmers markets and stuff. So we we kind of our our fan base is small, but we know that they're there and they're definitely loyal to us. So yeah. that's awesome. That's what we got too. Small but loyal. Sure, small but loyal. <laughs> that's it. It's the best. <laughs> yeah. How do they reheat? Like when you're talking about these frozen products, what do you do to reheat them or heat them up? Just or you cook said, them. You said bake at like 350 for 20 minutes. Uh, it's about 400 for 20 minutes, but yeah, they usually uh, we you're like we yeah, s- Mike idiot. 350 <laughs> isn't gonna do anything. You're just gonna have a little soggy crust. That's yeah. all. Um, no, it's just like pretty much you thaw them either you know what we say is either overnight in the fridge or room temperature for a few hours, and then you put them in the oven for about 20 minutes. Um, all our flavors cook exactly the same, so if you buy a mixed bag of multiple flavors, you want oh, to cool. you know try and have a traditional spinach feta, those are the exact same. Um, so and that's pretty much what it is. You just thaw and, and bake for 20 minutes, and it's good to go. That's well, exactly what we do on farmer's markets. We just bake them here and, hmm. and sell them. How is that? How, how do they all bake the same? That must have been incredibly difficult to nail down. Yeah, I mean, that's actually, I guess that kind of comes down from us just getting the fillings and that liquid content, moisture content of all the fillings sure. around the same, and the dough is the same for all of them. So that, oh, those okay, are, And fair. all the fillings are already cooked before we stuff them. So right. it's like 
because we have those steps in order, it, it just happens to line up that way, which is really So you're not necessarily cooking anything when you heat it up. You're just kind of baking yeah, you're the You're finishing off the dough because the, dough, the yeah, dough's yeah. only part yep. baked. But um, yeah, even half the dough's cooked. So mm-hmm. it really is. Just that makes kinda, it so much easier. Yeah, just right. nice and fresh. Good yeah, there, and that's why it's like, unless you're only popping in for five minutes, then even that, like, it's it, it, it's not going to hurt you, you know? Mm-hmm. But yeah, that's usually 20 minutes. Like, the most thing you're only finishing cooking is the dough, and then the fillings are just more heating up than anything else. Right. So we're on Chandler Street. Where did you guys start first? Were you always here to begin with, or did you move here once you guys kind of went full-time? Yeah, yeah. It was um, small steps along the way, like every other part of our story. Um, it started with in a Zach's kitchen at his house, oh, okay. like just nice. doing that on a super small scale. Off the record. Yeah. <laughs> uh, of course. I think statue like, limitation, uh, we're okay now. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it, it's a... Uh, yeah, so that, I mean, it, and it didn't last very long because that just ended up being way too much work yeah, just to kind of store all the stuff around. Um, yeah, how do you, you store all that? Yeah, it's freezer. separate, separate fridges. <laughs> oh, that, that time stuff. we weren't even pirate baking them either. We were, we were, we were freezing them frozen and expecting people to bake them off for 40 minutes before they ate them. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So it's <laughs> learning there. Um, and then, so once we outgrew that, we uh, rented a kitchen space at St. John's. Uh, I can't say the word. I think it's Episcopal Joseph's. Church. Yeah. Oh, okay. Oh, Joseph's, yeah. yeah. Um, I also can't say that. So. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, and uh, a lot of other people had uh, run, I'm pretty sure, like, uh, was it like Black Market Food Truck? It was also uh, there with... Um, yeah, Black Market Food Truck there was there for yeah, a little bit. Really I know Lloyd's had a small stint there, like, way early on. Yeah. Um, Nickel City Vice was with us. Ice cream we sandwiches, there. and they actually ended up here oh, as well. Cool. Um, yeah. yeah, no, it was the, that one worked, kind of worked out. They Originally, it was really hard to track that down because a lot of these churches have kitchens, but they, they rent it the same way they rent their like auditorium space so it's like by the hour and it's usually expensive but because they're usually renting to people like bingo nights that are have like two hours a, a week mm-hmm. where it's like every thursday we're gonna rent this auditorium for two hours and it'll be like 20 bucks but we were like well we need to be there like 15 hours a week and like there's no way we can afford to give you 150 like 150 200 a week on this when we're barely even pulling that in right. market so uh eventually we found say uh is it st john's or st john's <laughs> either way we um we we met with a dude and he was really cool um he kind of changed the his the lease around a little bit because uh, uh, originally it wasn't supposed to be it was only you were only supposed to be in there between like 8 a.m. and I want to say 10 p.m. but we were all night shifts so we we're like well we're gonna be in there between like midnight and 3 a.m. because that's what time we have to roll sure um, so we definitely changed that which kind of helped because that meant we weren't in anyone else's way we were kind of like this these little hidden like elves that would come out in the middle of the night and just make an issue so you would just like come there and you'd see them all roll in the freezer and they'd be gone the next day because we would sell them um and that helped and they cut us a break and they charged us more monthly as opposed to hourly but that took us we had to track down about six to eight churches and it wasn't until uh my friends at, at uh marlon rye who had the black market hmm. food truck told us to go and try that church and i hmm. lived right across the street so i had just walked over there and, and started talking to him one day and he wrote that and they broke it all down for us so that that helped us a lot and then while we were there we realized pretty early on that we were already pretty much at capacity between sharing the kitchen with other people you know all the equipment was rent was not even rented but it was all the kitchens and or all the churches and there was only one freezer and one cooler and there was like i want to say at the time anywhere from four to six businesses working out of there so it was it was just very crowded all the time so we knew very early on that we had to vacate there or we were just gonna not ever be able to grow beyond that and we found here um, on Craigslist of all places. <laughs> yeah, this right. this was on Craigslist? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> because this is like a complex now. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So can you guys, obviously you know more than we do, but about this place, can you talk about this place? I feel like people have no idea what is here. Yeah, it, um, it, it started kind of with Rock Community doing down at the editor of Chandler with Barrel and Brian and Tapo. 
Um, oh, right. Okay, yeah. So there, he renovated a bunch of... And Thin Man, right? That's Thin Man and Tab will okay. have a building that's a big building. They have some businesses in the top part. And then across the street, you have Blackbird Cider Hall, um, Barrel and Bryant. And that one is a little less uh, culinary focused because most of those are actually office buildings other than Barrel and Bryant and, and um, Blackbird Cider Hall. Um, and then down here, they decided to make it pretty much all commercial kitchens. And I think that was because... You know, it's always been an issue to find commercial kitchen in, in Buffalo, especially when we were looking. And it seems like everyone else is like, that's why food trucks were almost the answer for a while. Because you would just, instead of renting space, you'd just buy a food truck and you sure. just do all your prep in there. Or maybe have some small kitchen that you would work out of. Um, I remember when we first started here, like everything, the parking lot was like dug 30 feet down. Mm-hmm. The building across the hall was like missing a roof. Uh, you know, it was just the bare bones. And, and then uh, it just, they kind of built it up and... We yeah we found it on Craigslist and it was like we're like is this this might be too good to be true like we don't know what's going on but um, we signed we we got the lease and it's been awesome ever since. That's sweet. Um, yeah. Did you guys ever think about doing a food truck to start instead of coming here? Yeah, I mean even well actually as far as the Bloom and Rose goes, I mean we we've, we've talked about just about every every concept, but I mean I feel like before I even got into business with Zach and JB, um, we. Uh, I, I thought that was just the way to, you know, find culinary success by yourself was to do a food truck. That big movement was kind of a giant boom. I think it got oversaturated really fast. Sure. But, um, oh, so my we, God. You ain't kidding. Yeah, yeah, yeah seriously. Yeah. Um, but I think that yours would have been different. Th- this particular business model would have been different because there's not a lot. Yeah. of There's nothing out there. Mm-hmm. Like, if you want to go mac and cheese, you have, like, 75 food trucks that all Great. do their iteration of mac and cheese. Love mac and cheese. Not throwing any shade. But I'm just <laughs> saying, like, yours, at least it would have, like, stood out. Right. It would have been inside of a dope. It's not off the table yet. Just pasta's a little weird when you cook it three times. It's sure. so. <laughs> um, awesome. Yeah, no, it was, uh, we definitely, and we even actually still talk about possibly getting a truck because, but for us, it would be more of a mobile bake-off site, which would be awesome. Like, you know, right now for Bidwell, usually one of us is doing a mid-market bake-off where we can only, we can only carry so much at one time to begin with. So usually about halfway through the market, one of us brings a refill in of all the flavors to kind of, because we're usually sold out at that point. Um, so it's definitely an idea that we've, we've still talked about to this day is, is possibly having a food truck, but because of it being different than many others, then it wouldn't, it would be less of like a trying to pull up to a corner and sell them right there more for like events or have it at farmer's markets or even bring it to the stores that we sell, that sell us in retail. Then we'd be able to like show up one day and do like a, a small pop-up. So it's definitely not out of the question. It just wasn't um, the avenue that we thought best would for for growth. Sure, yeah. Mm-hmm. Pop-ups do extremely well too, though, which is fascinating because they're like, well, I'll just keep doing pop-ups. I'll do two, three pop-ups a week, and that'll stimulate all my bills. And then everything I do outside of that is basically how I can keep buying product. Right. You know. And then as they grow, they're like, well, this is actually profitable. Then they do the food truck mm-hmm. route once they get to that point. It's really cool because food trucks could be like an extension of what the overall operation is. Yeah, for sure. Because you mentioned you guys also have merchandise. Mm-hmm. So how do you sell your merchandise? Just at the market where you're like, hey, we're out of the spinach feta, but do you want a hat? Uh, <laughs> essentially, yeah. I mean, we, we designed our shirts and our hats to just have our logo and not our actual name um and part of that was that we'll we'll have a lot of people just come up to us because of our logo be like oh your logo is awesome um you know like what's going on with that you know and that that was definitely a big part of us trying to like sell it was we just have them on on display we just show them off 
Um, you know, usually we're wearing them ourselves. We have them on our hats. We have little pins. The logo um, would be a cool tattoo design. I see. Right here when I yeah. hit, when we hit 200 <laughs> sales in the air. <laughs> it's already been talked about. <laughs> no, it's sick. It's yeah. like that traditional style. We did, um, I, I the name is escaping now, but we did have a local artist um, draw it for us when we first. I, it must have been after the first market, but... Uh, early on in, in the business, we did uh, we decided to pay a copyright and get that drawn for us from a local artist that I, I believe has moved away now. I believe he worked for uh, Mad Ink, if, I, if I'm not mistaken. It's so long ago in time, it's so That's hard. That's so cool. <laughs> but, yeah, no, it was definitely locally drawn, and it, it kind of fits our American traditional like kind of style that we like to kind of portray and, and, and think of ourselves as, so... Um, that's most of it is we just let the, the logo kind of sell itself. We don't, it's not that we're really like throwing, you know, like we just have t-shirts hung up. I usually have a hat or two displayed on our, on our tables when we're at farmer's markets. Um, other than that, it's pretty much just family mm-hmm. <laughs> at this yeah, moment yeah. in time. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, that's sweet. I like that a lot. Absolutely. But it's, also, was, it's a pretty famous song too. <laughs> so that fits. Are they uh, all the... Um, what are they called? Those type of hats. They're flat brim? Are yes, they all flat the snapbacks. Yeah. They have the little snap in the back. Nailed it. Yeah. Okay, cool. But yeah, that, um, that, they're from New Era. Uh, we, we That was another thing. We we talked about getting swag super early on, but it was never, money was always an issue. Mm-hmm. Um, and then after last summer, which we did really, really well in, we were like, oh, we have enough, we have enough little extra. We can definitely um, get some swag. We didn't want to skimp on it at all. So yeah. we went to New Era for our hats. Uh, and when we found, we tested like, I don't know, like 10 different shirts to make sure we, we got comfortable ones that we would want to wear. Same with the hoodies. Like, oh, yeah. you know, and the only downside with the hoodies, the, the 3X is not fit me, which is very upsetting. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they're tough. The, the merch is something that we've always battled with because it's being a small business, you want to try to get your merchandise out there and your logo out there as much as possible. But man, that is a stressful process mm-hmm. that yeah. we're not well-versed in. <laughs> no, well, well, plus a lot of it is like, small but loyal like we said before and they're like hey what about a rocks glass like put your logo on a rocks glass or because you know you guys write whiskeys right. or why don't you why don't you do this this and this i'm like do it do it like i have 50 <laughs> shirts i have enough we, we're literally scrapping pennies up for a batch and then we're donating a portion of all proceeds to a different nonprofit. so it's like we're trying to do all these different things like i i got a t-shirt man you want a t-shirt like, I, yeah. give me some time and you that's another thing is i don't think a, a lot of people don't realize like how how much you kind of have to buy to make it to have it make no. sense it's like yeah the t-shirt might like even if it costs you 15 bucks like that's still like you have you in order to get that you have to buy 150 of them mm-hmm. so it's not yeah. like you can just get like five or six printed at a time it's it's definitely and there was way more into it than what i thought when we originally yeah. started going down i mean That's we spent almost a year getting it down to where we like from when we started talking about okay we might have enough money at the end of this summer to actually pulling the trigger it was probably about a year of us going back and forth on what we would want you know who we would go with quality versus quantity that kind sure. of thing so that and like a website that you can have a cart and check out just so someone can check out on your cart that's like what a thousand dollars just more than that yeah yeah. especially if you want card integrated yeah Mm -hmm. yeah it's ridiculous it's like oh i and then you just sit on it and you you don't even have like it's not like you know you're gonna move it and that was another thing is like yeah the inventory what do you do with the inventory like what if someone's like over there there, yeah yeah. like oh i don't i want a shirt with no sleeves it's like what i got 50 shirts man (laughs) i got 50 shirts are you guys at the point where you're growing too fast where you can't stay here or are you still okay staying here um we so with this summer me jumping on we we are i think we're just starting to kind of see our ceiling 
Um, I do think we have some things in the work. As you guys kind of see, there's a big sheeter behind us mm-hmm. and, and another freezer. So, like, we, we have we have things working to try and hopefully um, speed up the process and allow us to even produce even more. Um, so while we're not at, at the ceiling here, we definitely are starting to see a little bit of what that ceiling may look like. Sure. Um, and if next year, if what we hope to, we're almost hope to double our farmer's markets next year, and that would probably, I think at the end of that summer, if we end up doubling our farmer's markets, we would kind of see, I think, what the ceiling would kind of be like here, for sure. Sure. How do you get into farmer's markets? Mm, yeah, I mean, it simply is just a application process. Oh, okay. Uh, for a lot of them, I, I do find uh, you kind of have to also kind of fit a certain mold. Like, a lot of the farmer's markets curate based on, you know, so you can only have so many bakeries, you know, so many clothing or, you know, types of operations. Do you have to meet, like, some sort of, or not not organic, because it doesn't have to be organic, but, like, how? Yeah, where you source your ingredients Yeah, okay, stuff. yeah. Um, yeah, that's definitely a pretty big consideration at uh, the Elmwood Village farmer's markets. Definitely others are don't care as much. Mm-hmm. Um, and even then, it's like... Uh, it's mostly just I, I, I feel like the conversation has less been about like local organic and you know all of these like not that sustainably sourced is bad by any means but it's more just like handmade you know it's a it's a maker's market sure. and just people who care about something you're not just buying it and reselling it you know right. and that's kind of the the baseline heart behind all of those markets yeah I that's feel. her vibe yeah so does each market have its own individual website for that said application yeah, yeah. Most of them, it's, okay. uh, they they don't have great websites. I will say overall, like a lot of them, you kind of go to, and the previous year's information is on there. So you you kind of have the person that you've taught. Like, I mean, I don't know how it really starts. I, actually, we haven't mentioned him at all, but Josh Lankford, our one of our other business partners, is really helps get all that stuff done for us. Yeah, he kind of builds all those communications, and he just kind of keeps them mm-hmm. keeps it going for us so i'm super thankful for that i he's a networker yeah yeah that yeah. and the that and the website and the card stuff i mean uh, he's he helped us kind of build all that and a lot of it was kind of diy at first True. you know mixing and matching parts to kind of just get whatever we needed to work so it's a uh, i mean it's a, it's a crazy hard process it's hard to get in the farmer's markets because it's not it, even though it's just an application you're kind of just one of many and i feel like you can get kind of forgotten about right you always have to kind of follow up and, and that's like the, the cool right thing to do now if you're looking to buy stuff is go to a farmer's market yeah. so that thing is exploding yeah and i think you're you get made fun of if you don't go to one right yeah <laughs> i think they're like the third business that we've talked to that done farmer's markets yeah. and we've never talked about the application process so i'm sure that there's listeners out there that might want to start their own thing and they're thinking like how do you even get into one of these so yeah, yeah. it's pretty just an application pretty much yeah or and at least um if if you have one that you know about just go to it and there's usually a representative of the organization there that you could talk to and that's probably your best way like a yeah, lot no of the connections we find is just talking to somebody directly instead of just doing something that's a little bit anonymous mm-hmm. like an application process not that you wouldn't have to do it but yeah just you just got to talk to somebody show your good intentions and uh, that's sure. the best way to build i mean i think that's kind of how we got into bidwell was we started the farmer's markets and i think that the kind of reason we got into it i think because not many people applied for that one mm-hmm. um and they actually needed to fill boots like they wanted so many vendors there so we we did it knowing that it would hopefully get us somewhat noticed into the summertime one and that's that's how we got into bidwell at least was starting with that winter one that kind of didn't seem like that many people want to do 
and then from there it, it allowed us to kind of get on their radar and allow us to get into the summer one sure and then kind of once you're in as long as you don't do anything stupid you're good, <laughs> right, you're yeah. good to go right <laughs> coming coming from the whiskey standpoint we've talked to a lot of distillers and to get into a liquor store you have to come in with the bottle of your liquor and you'd be like try this do you like it do you want to stock us do you get you don't have to do that they're like try my canache do you like it can i be in your store please like for lexington co-op what did you have to do for that yeah it's funny that uh, they kind of came to us oh sweet farmers market. that makes we, it easier we, we, tr- we did try contacting i'm not sure how it like really started but um we i think that was another thing is we sent an email or i even went into the store one day and just asked who to talk to i sent an email and kind of didn't hear anything back and i, mean, I guess it's kind of understandable maybe it was spam or something mm-hmm. and then you know we were we, they ended up having an employee there that really loved our product for coming to the market and then the the owner or the one of the store managers came by um just uh, at the beginning of this farmer's market season was like hey we gotta get you guys set up and oh, do all sweet. stuff so it's like i mean it's just kind of random chance sometimes how that stuff works out um even like uh, uh one of our more successful markets or uh, retail operations it's fresh fix and they do delivery um they're kind of just like an online farmer's market mm-hmm. sort of thing and they also just kind of came to us knowing that you know they had tried us somewhere and happened to be running a business that would also serve us well and it's it's a lot of just like really good community sure. with all that it's it's interesting it's just a buffalo and honestly i didn't really think that there was merit to it because growing up that was the biggest lesson from your parents is like you just go talk to somebody like yeah. hey i want pizza it's like okay get on the phone and talk to somebody <laughs> and like we never really fully understood that but now from like a business standpoint the only way to do anything specifically in the city is just doing it like just talking to For somebody sure. yeah. and i honestly feel like that is way more prevalent in buffalo than some other cities where an email might work somewhere else but in buffalo it's like hey man show up i want to know what you're about 75 percent of communication is like body language yeah. so yeah. i want to like know who you are as a human being and then we can move forward for sure and it's just wild hearing these different stories about how to do anything specifically in the city because yeah. at the end of the day it really just comes down to i showed up one day and i was like hey man you want to try this? <laughs> yeah. Like it's yeah, it's yeah. really cool. Yeah, and it's not always going to be a success too. It's just trying it a bunch of times and right. seeing what, like eventually enough stuff ends up working out. And, uh, yeah, if you give your product to twenty people, at least a portion of them are going to enjoy sure. it, no matter what. So, yeah. I mean, it's it's still kind of like a numbers game sometimes. Just yeah, sometimes, especially in Buffalo, being such a small kind of foodie, you know, especially the industry and everything. It's such a small town that mm-hmm. a lot of word of mouth does get out pretty quick. So like if you get you know, you get into one store and then they're like, they're friends with this other store who also does something similar or, you know, that's their competitor and they're looking at like, oh, they're selling this product and, you know, like I, I need to jump on this too. So definitely Buffalo being small is, uh, it helps that. But yeah, you need, you definitely need to get out there and yeah. just kind of like be a part of it. And that, that's actually one thing I've been looking forward to is, is being a little bit more like back in the local, like I, I yeah, you miss a scene. Yeah, 100%. Like, I, yeah. I was on Elmwood for, like, 10 years just, like, you know, cooking away and just enjoying the actual scene of just the Elmwood Village and, you know, up and down Allen and, and Elmwood itself. And I moved, when I went to Park for, like, six years, I kind of missed that. Mm-hmm. And I and now getting back here, that's another thing that I'm uh, super looking forward to, especially when, when the markets aren't so demanding. I actually have time to, like, go out and, like, talk to my buddies at Barrel and Brian and, and other businesses and stuff that I know and just get out there and, like, you know, Hey, what's up? Like, uh, I went to a Grand and Amherst Business Association yeah. meeting um, at Blackbird Cider Hall, I think, two weeks ago or so. And that's literally what it was. It was just a little gathering. We just sat around and had some drinks and just all kind of like, you know, how this is, hi, my name is whoever. This is my business. I do this. And it was just kind of cool to do that. And I know there's another one coming up next month, and I'm actually excited to go to it. Oh, that's cool. Um, just getting back in that kind of local scene. And, you know, also, I, as I said, I have a few friends that run business, and 
their support have been has been awesome. Like they haven't even questioned like, oh, if you need anything, you have any questions, you know, just call me up, come come and sit down. Um, my buddy Christian, who owns Marble and Rye, uh, he did that when we first started. He was yeah, like super early on. Mm-hmm. Like yeah. we we were barely even like an idea at that point, and he was the one who kind of was like, you know gave us there because they had gone from a food truck to a restaurant so they kind of like you know explained his his story of it they started as a food truck the black market food truck yep mm-hmm. they were the black market food truck for years and then they uh and then they switched to marble and rye um and i want to say they have a second location that's either just opened or it's opening up here soon but i don't know too much about that but we, we got to have them on that'd be an interesting conversation to i can definitely reach out about <laughs> yeah. i love that place yeah. oh really yeah well, and i heard a rumor that they didn't survive the pandemic i don't and uh, i was like Devastated. I was like, "There's no way." No, I don't. Like, that I mean, place they, is so yeah. good. But I, I know. I, I want to think they did because I want to say yeah, they, they did like take home burger kits mm-hmm. and all kinds of stuff. They might have okay. just closed for. And a they little did close for a little bit. They yeah. definitely closed for a little bit. I know that much. Um, but I want to say because I, I, okay, I want to so say that their close sign probably threw everyone even with tizzy. Yeah. 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 Okay. I want to say that because I, I think I would have heard about it if they were actually like fully done. But right. I think they just closed a little bit. They should be back open. And um, I want to say yeah, they have they had plans to open a second location. Um, even during COVID, kind mm-hmm. of during that whole thing, so it's nuts. I went. I was there in a suit because we were going to a play afterwards, and my buddy, he's like, "We have to dress up for this. It's just like something different." And I was like, <laughs> "Sweet, let's wear suits." So like, we wore suits. The girls wore dresses, and then we walked in the place, and it was just like, "Hey guys, we'll seat you." And it was like, "You're okay to wear that there." Like, no one even <laughs> oh, yeah. blinked. I'm yep. like, "This is amazing." We could also go there in little less attire and be just fine. Exactly. Yeah. So, what's next for you guys? What's that next step? Rolling 700 knishes four days a week? Or <laughs> yeah, is that, is that little sheet thing going like to go all the way across the room and you're just pumping them like it's a How It's Made episode? <laughs> Pretty much that's the idea, yeah. <laughs> yeah I mean, uh, from here on, we uh, we don't really know. We, we're kind of waiting. Um, as I said, we uh, we entered the Make It On Main, so we're waiting to hear back from that. That would definitely take us in a way different direction. Mm-hmm. Um, but other than that, yeah, our, our, I think our next goal is finding ways to make it so we can roll 2,000 conditions a week and it doesn't kill our hands and it's not just us <laughs> sitting here for four hours like you know four days non-stop and just rolling um, that's exactly what that's supposed to do it's it's basically going to do the same thing as being hand roll but it's just oh, okay. it's basically a conveyor belt with a rolling pin right in the middle so we'll just, you just send it back and forth back and forth you see that the arms are folded up yep. so yeah it, it we don't know where we're going to set it up quite yet. That's, I mean, once we get it fixed and rolling, that's you know that's going to be part of the fun of that is, is, is just figuring out how it works and how it fits into our schedule and stuff. But yeah, that's uh, I mean, as I said, co-op was our, our one of our first steps. Retail is definitely more of a little bit more of the game that we're sure. looking at, mm-hmm. I mean, at least for long term, for sure. Is you know if we can, if we can, I don't think we'll ever stop farmers markets per se. But if we can get into retail, where we're selling you know like Wegmans tops mm-hmm. or even bigger companies like. You know, if we could start selling to California and all across and every state in between, and just have it be a freezer section, that would be right. that would be awesome. Um, so, I mean, that would be big, big game, big dream goals would be yeah to be yeah. just a, a retail, you know, get into all a bunch of retail stores and, and sell our commission that way. But um, the next step is getting that working and hopefully getting into another store, you know, dashes, top, mm-hmm. something like that. Look at look at them next and just slow stepping stones like that for sure. Dashes is family owned too, so yeah. that'll be huge. Before we press record, you were talking about how you sell everything bagel seasoning or mm-hmm. everything seasoning as well. Do you, first of all, could you talk about why you started doing that? And second, what do you sell anything else like that? Like anything out outside of that and knishes or just everything bagel seasoning? Um, as of right now, we have, well, we have the everything bagel spice and then we have the Zatar spice. Um, the main reason we started doing those is because um, our traditional and our spinach and feta are by far our two best sellers. Um, they were part of like our original three. Um, and we always just had so much spice around that we realized that a lot of stores were kind of just like basically overcharging 
Um, it seemed like most places you'll get anywhere from like two to four ounces, and it'll be like six to eight bucks. Like I was, I went to Wegmans the other day, and I saw a jar of like two point seven five ounces for eight dollars, and I'm like, McCormick, you made that good, homie. <laughs> uh, but and then so you know we always have it around, and instead we were always making it in big batches. So we, I think it was Andy that was like, you know, we could probably just jar this and, and start selling it, and. You know, it wasn't. It's it's more just. I love that. <laughs> it, it's just like it. We it's we we think it's a good that both those spices. We you know we took time to to figure out the ratios, uh, make sure that all the ratios are right, and that we enjoy it. And if you know, it takes a little bit of time to to jar them, but we sell them just for five bucks on the side, and it's it's more like a second note. Like yeah. if you really like this, then you probably really like our spice that's on top yeah. of it. You know, if you don't want it, that's cool. That, that's not a problem. But we are we always have it, so why not? at least try and offer it for a little bit better of a price than yeah. <laughs> yeah I mean something like that would get the lights on mm-hmm. you know what I mean yep that avocado toast right now with everything bagels you think is like the entire fat <laughs> yep so yeah. I'm sure you'll get people that just love it just because of that mm-hmm. yeah yeah there's definitely people who, who pick it up that's there. usually like I mean you'll you'll usually get three you know two to three a market where they don't even care about the rest of their product they're just gonna be like <laughs> yeah. I'll just take this and that's it and then they just get the spice and be like alright see you later enjoy your avocado toast that's awesome <laughs> exactly yeah <laughs> Now, we've looked into uh, mustard production as well mm-hmm. eventually one day because that is like the classic Kaddish condiment at least for the traditional. Oh, okay. So, um, we which that's just a seed, yeah. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Essentially, yeah, pickled uh, seed pick, pickled mustard seeds. Yeah, pretty much. Um, but uh, yeah, that's that's been a they even more lengthy some, process. Yeah. Trying yeah, to figure things out, uh, sending samples to Cornell University to have them analyzed and make sure that's all good, and then it's even more rigorous inspections from the state um, for like acidified food product. Really? Products. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's a really intense process that we have a really good product, but have kind of just uh, didn't realize how, maybe how serious it was sure. to, to actually do it. So we've, it's, it's not like out of the question, but it's just a slow process to kind of get it going. It's we wild. need like a steamer to process enough of it. You know, we could do it in very small batches. That's not worth our time for, you know, for right. large scale production. But not like, yeah, the, it's because it's got to be shelf safe. So it's like, there's a lot of factors that can go wrong there. So there's, there's a, a much bigger chance of human error and, and you just, you mean, you just miss something just a little bit and it just, now this bacteria is in there and, and you've sealed it in. So it's almost helping it grow. So yeah, the FDA definitely cracks down on, on those type of things a lot more. Um, Interesting. As far as like what you need to have, what you the process you need to go through, um, the license you need to have in order mm-hmm. to do it, that kind of thing. It's definitely it was way more than we thought originally. Right, but it's wild. We have a whole line. We had a whole line set up. We were going to name them after all the flavors after our dogs. It's like, <laughs> we all have two dogs. So like each one was going to have a different like scurvy dog mustard was our first one, and then like you know I, I had my dog is rolling. I was going to have like a proper English English. Um, like mustard because he always sits with his hands crossed over all proper and we had like so we have ideas for all these mustards but yeah it's it's definitely like uh once we get conditioned retail and then we have a little bit extra income then it's like oh let's there get a steamer go. and let's get you know a bunch of jars and let's make this like an actual good plan and, and that's that's definitely there but yeah it was it was way more than we thought originally you ain't kidding wow how can people find you guys too and what platforms are you on yeah, as far as like social media goes, which is definitely the easiest, Instagram and Facebook are just two solid go-tos. Um, you know, we post about where we're going to be, what flavors we're doing, or just you know, videos of JB being Bearcat. Yeah, Those I are hilarious, that. by the way, because you pop up from behind <laughs> tables. Yeah. I'm like, what is going on? Um, 
Yeah, yeah those are, that's actually one thing that I've actually missed. Like since all the markets have started, me and him have not had time to really shoot too much content, and that's one thing I'm looking for. The, the market slowing down is actually going on because we have some ideas for what we think is going to be hilarious. Yeah, so we got some good stuff. <laughs> They're so funny. And it's just like, and that's I don't know. It's for me. It's always been. My, my stupidness has always been I've always been wanted like I'm not I've always wanted to be kind of a center tender so it's like yeah I'll be the face I'm fine with that like I just want to make people laugh like it's definitely something I've always had so sure. I, these videos were definitely ways that I could kind of just like get that little satisfaction having people come up like I got stopped in the liquor store one time right after we aired a few of those and the dude comes up and goes hey you're that dude right that dude from the deli man that does the funny videos <laughs> I'm like yeah, I guess so. It only happened that one time, but it was great that it happened that yeah, once. <laughs> so if people want to order some, do they contact you, or do, should they go to a farmer's market? Yeah, I, I, you can, as far as, like, walk-up, same-day service, um, we're at the Elmwood Village Farmer's Market every Saturday um, from 8 to 1. We come back here to do a Chandler aftermarket um, from 3 to 8. There's a lot of other great producers here in the building, Flat 12 and Southern Junction, Cake Pops, list goes on. Um we do the Kenmore market on Sundays until the end of the season this year. Um, but uh, if you really kind of just want to just direct information on how to order us, um, just our website, thebloomandrose.com, has a direct form with all of our stuff that you can kind of schedule a pickup, um, whether at, whether it's at the market or here at the kitchen. We kind of sure. set up some times to be here. Yeah. Awesome. Well, gentlemen, thank you so much for your time today. This has been an amazing conversation. Yeah. I learned what a Kanish was, so yeah, that's a kidding. job well done. Yeah. <laughs> well, thank you guys very thank much. You. Appreciate no, it. You. Go Definitely check them out on their it. social media and on their website and order some Kanishes because you probably won't have anything like it. <laughs> no. And then, of course, we'll tag you guys in future posts, too, so people can uh, can easily find it through our channels. Absolutely. Hey, you guys will go home with a little little grab bag of, of four different flavors. You guys can try them. You'll see how use they are to cook. Do not have to do And that. then we'll yeah, just plug us on all. another episode. Awesome. Fine. Gotcha. <laughs> Thank you, guys. Appreciate it. Thank Thank you. Cheers, Thank everybody. You. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Ohio, ready for some quick mental health facts? Let's go. Nearly 2 million Ohioans live with a mental health condition. In the U.S., more than 50% of people will be diagnosed with a mental illness in their lifetime. Depression is a leading cause of disability worldwide. So why are some of us still stigmatizing people living with a mental health condition when we know all of this? Let's listen to the facts and beat the stigma. Ohio, challenge what you know about mental health at beatthestigma.org.